Hey everyone, welcome to episode 34 of the Switch Focus podcast. With me, as always, is Jeannie Wu and Andrew Brown. How are you two? Alright, can't complain. <laughs> I can complain, but I won't. Cool. I'll complain a little. I was I was missing last week because of the uh, Champions League final, uh, and I think I've just about got over the defeat just now. Team Liquid uh, can't win every match. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, on to more positive things. Uh, so let's talk about Nintendo and, and Switch games. Uh, we've got no updates from the previous episode, so let's just get straight on with the latest Switch news. <laughs> Okay, it's been a big week for Pokemon fans, uh, with not one, but two games announced. Three, if you want to get really technical. Um, they announced this in the oddest way ever, uh, an event that wasn't streamed, and then they put the the video up for afterwards, so it's like, why not just stream the event? But, you know, whatever. Um, and basically they announced Pokemon Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu, uh, which is sort of... a uh, a cross between the core series and Pokemon Go, uh, so you catch Pokemon in the same way as you do on the Pokemon Go mobile app, uh, but then you, you have traditional battling, uh, and it looks like it plays out similarly to the core games. So just on that premise alone, what was your reactions? Uh, my attention immediately started wandering when they said Pokemon Go tie-in. I was like, okay. <laughs> Thanks. I'll, I'll wait for the core installment next year. Thanks very much. <laughs> right. Well, I guess I'll just be universally positive about this, mainly because my two favorite Pokemon of all time are Pikachu and Eevee. So when I had, when I saw Pikachu and Eevee, I was like, "Listen, like nothing can stop me from buying this game <laughs> when it comes out." Mm-hmm. Um, and I. I'm not a huge Pokemon Go player, but I don't think you need to play Pokemon Go to actually get the most out of this game. From the trailer, it just looks like there's transferring functionality, like you can transfer your Pokedex from Pokemon Go to Pokemon Let's Go. Um, But it doesn't look like you would have had to have played Pokemon Go to actually play this one. And it looks to me like just enough of a deviation on the standard RPG formula to like tide me over until the actual release next year. And um, I quite like it. I think it's a bit more of a pacifist approach named, um, sorry, geared towards kids, which is also, I guess, what Pokemon the franchise always has been. So I'm not bothered by the fact that I can't kill things willy-nilly in the wild anymore or just like knock it out and leave it for dead. Like, I'm fine with just having to catch stuff with like berries and Pokeballs and generally be like a kind civic citizen. So I'm okay with that. Um, I think that the Joy-Con Pokeball that it comes with is a bit pricey, um, but I also understand that it's entirely, you know, like the perfect Christmas tie-in pack for the Switch. So they're going to rake in tons of money from tons of impressionable kids. And that's fine. That's Nintendo's commercial prerogative. That's whatever. I probably won't buy a Pokeball, but I'm definitely going to pick up at least one of the two Pokemon Let's Go is just because it looks adorable, it looks lighthearted, and I've been playing some super depressing games lately um, that are really heavy on story, <laughs> and I just need that nostalgic goodness in my life. So I'm going to get it personally, and I think it looks great. So I may have already pre-ordered the Pokeball Plus. There you go. So another one of us succumbs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which version are you going to get? 
I'm probably gonna go with Evie. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna go with Pikachu. Nice. Um, and yeah, my wife said she's going for the Evie one. Oh um, So, uh, details from the trailer. There's no uh, random battles. You don't get attacked in long grass. Uh, but you still have trainer battles. Yeah, we're not sure how that fits in with the leveling stuff. I assume it's going to be more like Pokemon Go, where just catching the Pokemon gives you XP. Mm. Um, it also seems to have drop-in local multiplayer, which is cool, so the whole game can be played literally with one Joy-Con, uh, which makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and you can double up and do Pokemon battles together. That seemed pretty cool, or, or both catch the same Pokemon to improve your chances. Uh, there's the continuing the trend of being able to dress up Pikachu and Eevee this time, who can both ride on your character. Uh, and as Andrew alluded to, yes, there is still a core game coming next year, which is still cool, so everyone's sort of catered for with, with all these releases. I just want to talk about the Pokeball Plus. So it seems like it's a Joy-Con in itself, so it's got an analog stick, it's got HD rumble, where apparently you can feel the Pokemon in the ball. Um, and the ball works with both Let's Go and Pokemon Go for catching, which is cool. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, I, I have been sort of chipping away at Pokemon Yellow on 3DS on and off over the past year, and I do find the random trainer battles a little, like, tiresome they like it started off fun and i'm like someone who really enjoys grindy jrpgs so it was it was a surprise that that sort of bothered me so much uh, i'm i'm looking forward to a more like chilled out approach uh they also announced another game which is a uh, pokemon quest which uh yeah we, let's talk about it now okay so pokemon quest this is kind of like a they're calling it an action rpg uh, I haven't had a chance to play it. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's my sort of thing, but I believe you two have both played it. Um, yeah, I've played it. Um, it definitely kind of feels like the Pokemon mobile game that should have been. Um, it kind of reminds me of other mobile games um, where you can basically just sit idle at your mobile slash console and watch your Pokemon whack away at things. So you basically... Um, spawn in a place called Tumble Cube Island, where everything looks like cubes, um, including the Pokemon and the scenery and whatnot. And your job is to befriend the local Pokemon and to gather resources for your special little base. So, um, as you can tell from that rather, I guess, uh, slim narrative offering, um, it definitely is like a mobile game geared towards kids. Um, the the most of what you have to do, I guess, is is press uh, on the touch screen a skill every now and then, and your Pokemon just fight battles automatically for you. So, um, it is not at all the kind of game that I would go out and spend money on, which is great because the game is also free. Um, but there are in-app purchases, which I haven't really touched on because I really only played it for a couple of hours before literally falling asleep at the console. So... Uh, that I guess speaks um for itself in terms of how captured I was by the aesthetic. But I mean it's just like a cute kids game. It feels like supplementary material. It doesn't feel like a standalone game, nor was it meant to be a standalone game. It just kinda feels like more stuff to pull in the young ones. So yeah. It's there if you want it. I'm not super um into it. But it's alright. <laughs> not quite a glowing review. What about you, Andrew? 
I was uh, surprised by the graphical choice they used. Uh, it kind of reminded me of that Pokemon Rumble game that came out on mobile and 3DS a few years back, which I played for about five minutes and stopped playing. <laughs> but this one did keep me interested in it for a good hour before I stopped playing, so it's definitely a step up from Rumble, at least. Uh, it's got a very strange cube aesthetic to it where everything is like literally assembled from cubes it doesn't quite look like voxels but it's kind of drawing from that aesthetic but i was still surprised at my ability to recognize the different pokemon most of them are which from the first generation just by looking at their silhouettes uh maybe that just speaks to how much i've played gen 1 pokemon i don't know <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of input I felt I really had to put in the game. As Ginny said, you can pretty much set it to auto-battle, and when you go on these expeditions on the island and you basically have your team of three Pokemon pick fights with all the wild Pokemon in the area until they've fainted everybody on the screen and then the match ends, <laughs> uh, I just set it to auto and just sat there watching them go to town, and sometimes they would lose a battle if I was going into a map that I wasn't quite powerful enough to handle yet. Most of the time they were okay if I just sat there and watched them, but you can intervene and tell them to scatter to avoid a particularly powerful attack. Maybe on the highest levels of the game that kind of stuff is necessary, but I was perfectly content just to let the gameplay itself for the most part. And when you clear a match, you get a randomized stone, and you can use that stone to slot into one of your character's to increase their power or defense levels, and as they get higher in level, you unlock more slots to equip these stones into. So there's definitely some depth to the RPG mechanics there, it's just it's mostly you setting up the game to be successful as it plays itself. I was thinking to myself, you know, I could totally start an expedition and then go off and wash dishes while it plays itself and then come back and that would be pretty much my relationship with this game not unlike a, a clicker game like adventure capitalist or or, or like cookie clicker where or clicker heroes where you fight stuff <laughs> yeah sh sure uh, <laughs> but i wasn't real excited to continue on with this game it, it's fine i've played worse games uh, I've certainly played worse Pokemon mobile games, and it, it's interesting that it's on the Switch, but I don't think it's essential by any means. I just think conceptually that it would be better as a mobile game anyway, mm. just from looking at it. Well, uh, I'm actually surprised there aren't more mobile games on the Switch right now. I mean, like more of Nintendo's mobile games, I should say. There are a lot of mobile games on the Switch at the moment. Like Fire Emblem Heroes, I think that would be a great fit on the Switch. I wish they had ported that by now, but they mm -hmm. haven't. But maybe this is a sign that they are going to start adapting games like Super Mario Run and Fire Emblem Heroes to the Switch. I actually think they would do very well. Yeah, I'd love Super Mario Run on the Switch. Mm, same. For sure. So I've been putting some time into Super One More Jump, finally. This was a game I uh, <laughs> I bought using my uh, points uh, and through the Nintendo's reward system um, and I'm really enjoying it I don't want to spend too long talking about it because you two have already talked about it in depth previously but uh, yeah I'm finding it super challenging uh, but not overly frustrating thanks to the way it just puts you back in uh, I, it's taken me ages to get used to the really small platforms and the timing on those uh, and I really like the way how 
basically you're just chipping away at a level bit by bit until you've mastered it, then you fall at the next hurdle and you go back to the beginning and you, you start the press again. It's kind of like improving through through repetition, um, which is similar to the sort of process of learning another game I'm going to talk about later. And yeah, really fun. fun. I'm about halfway through it. Um, I know you, Andrew's told me the last 12 missions are really really uh frustrating but i haven't hit that sort of level of frustration yet you you played celeste right yeah yeah i died 1100 times total in celeste to beat it uh on super one more jump on the second to last level that one level i died over 2300 times (laughs) okay damn yeah okay i'm not sure that's I'll be able to do that, but we'll see how we go with that. Um, but yeah, it's it's just been like a good uh, wind down game for me during like moments where I've just got like twenty minutes to spare and I can't be bothered jumping into something a bit more in depth. It's been my go to. Uh, yeah, really enjoying it. Uh, so let's talk about uh, something else. One of you two guys have been playing. Ginny, you've been playing Happy Birthdays. Yeah, so I've been playing Happy Birthdays, which was also called Birthdays the Beginning. Um, when it came out on the PlayStation, I think it was last year, the year before that. So it's been around for a little while already. Um, so if it sounds kind of vaguely familiar to people, that's why. Um, so Happy Birthdays is, at its core, basically a god mode creation game. So for some reason... Um, you get like a really unnecessary kind of like five minute story about what's happened to you but basically you wake up one night and you you go towards the light you get sucked into a cube and then you're in outer space don't ask me <laughs> what how that happens <laughs> but you're in outer space and you're aided by a magical astronaut fairy called navi and you're told that your job is to basically make the world so you're given control complete control over a sandbox environment that's like pre-populated with insects and trees and water and stuff and your job is to basically create life and that creation is meant to eventuate in the creation of humanity um so it's yeah your job is to fiddle with things like temperature elevation moisture and stuff and you do that by manually moving the ground up and down in various places um, and that is meant to create ideal conditions um, for different kinds of fauna and flora growing and eventually, I guess, humanity. So it is um, a very slow-paced game. Um, I've played it before on the PlayStation and, it, on again, the Switch. It's not any quicker um, playing the game a second time around, mainly because there's no one good way to do what the game wants you to do. Um, it's got its own story mode where you're like, I'm God, I need to make things. Um, but that's about all the guidance the game gives you. If you ask for help in the game, it just tells you like what the controls are. It doesn't really tell you how to get to your objectives. And you're meant to organically figure out that you need to create X amount of plankton or fish to like progress yourself to the next stage of evolution. So um, if you like direction in games, um, this is really 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 not the game for you because literally you get no help whatsoever um you're meant to figure out how to turn rocks into dinosaurs and stuff basically um and it seems like magic um and rng and it feels mostly like rng 
because you don't really get told like, oh, if the temperature is 35 degrees, all this plankton will spawn. It just has a stat where it's like zero plankton or like two plankton and temperature is X or Y. And like, it's up to you to monitor each individual stat and each individual potential animal that you can get all on your own. So if you like busy work, this is the game for you. If you don't like busy work and you were thinking, oh, it's going to be really cute, it's going to be like Spore or Sims or something, but with animals and stuff, it is not like that at all. It's really more like trying to spin a number of plates um, that are all based around statistics, I guess, and, ev- and evolutionary science. So um, if you don't, that doesn't appeal to you, this is not going to be your game. Um, but if you don't care about, I guess, evolving the world and making humanity, then you take all the pressure off yourself and it actually becomes quite relaxing to just see ecosystems change and seasons change and animals just surprise you by sprouting up somewhere. Um, but if you play the game, I guess, the way that they try to make you play it, which is to follow their story to get to humanity, then it's actually pretty frustrating. <laughs> I had a couple of questions, actually. Mm-hmm. So the is is the pun is there any punishment other than just the game taking a really long time if you don't um, achieve those certain goals? Well, or? stuff can die out, which then makes it harder for you to actually create new species. So yep. yeah, if stuff dies out, you'll have to figure out how to replicate that original species coming about to then help you get a new species down the line. So everything everything that dies in this world will set your progress back a little bit. And are there any situations where it's like an either-or situation where you have to sort of pick between two different types of species and see one die out to see the other one thrive, or is it just is it just one true path sort of thing? Um, it's not quite a matter of one true path. Think of it as like multiple branching paths where you can sort of reach humanity by picking, I guess, any one of them. Um, but I will say that there is quite a bit of, I guess, species interplay. So, like, if you've got tons of crocs, then obviously your herbivores won't survive and stuff like that. And if herbivores don't survive and die out, then there are those repercussions. So it's like balancing a mini zoo and trying to keep numbers healthy across all species to make your chances better of actually evolving humanity. Okay, mm. sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's mostly tracking numbers and stats, um, as opposed to, I guess, organically watching the world grow. Um so if you're looking for like a really relaxing kind of scenic game, most of your time will be spent in panels full of numbers looking at um, spawn rates and whatnot and temperatures and elevation and stuff. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's got its own charm if you are someone that can put aside all the game's expectations and like resist trying to just conform to those. It's, it's probably quite a good time. Um, but for someone like me that has to follow the story and has to get the story done, it was a bit of a nightmare, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andrew, you've been playing Pixel Junk Monsters 2, I believe. That's a tower defense game, I think. How's that going? I've been on the lookout for a good tower defense game on the Switch, so I was happy when I saw this one was coming out. If you look at the images of it on the shop, you might not believe the game actually looks the way that it does, but if you're playing it, it really does. This game looks like it was stop-motion animated and you can really see that if you pause the game or if you zoom in because that's the most interesting thing about this uh, maybe this isn't true of tower defense games but it's true of the ones i've played or most of them are played is like a cursor and you are just looking out over the battlefield and you're just assigning things with right clicks and left clicks in this game you actually have a character where you're running around the map 
and you can play it either in a top-down view, which is actually the easiest way to play the game, so it's what you spend most of your time in. But if you have a few minutes or even a few seconds free to just stand motionless, you can actually zoom into an over-the-shoulder perspective and really get a close-up view of the game, and you can really see just how beautiful this game is when you do that. But unfortunately, most of the time when you're playing it, it's zoomed so far out you can't really appreciate it, so that's a shame. But as a tower defense game, I've been pretty happy with it. Uh, there are five worlds with three levels each in it and three difficulty levels on each world. And even though they call the first difficulty fun, uh, it was still challenging me. So uh, I kind of dread the higher difficulty levels because to get a lot of the unlockables in this, you do have to get a perfect rating on each difficulty level. And even to just access the different worlds, you have to get perfect ratings. So... Right now where I'm at, I've finished about half the levels to get any deeper into the game and see the end credits. I actually have to go back to the first few levels and get perfect ratings on them so I can progress further. It kind of sucks that there's that roadblock on your progress and you can't just play straight through. And, you know, if you feel like it, go back and get those perfect ratings for their, all the unlockables. So that that's kind of a shame. But as a tower defense game... Except for how it's played more like an action-adventure game, it doesn't really offer anything surprising. You have monsters trying to attack your base by following varying paths, and you build towers alongside the paths to kill them before they can reach there. And when you start a map, it does show you the path that the monsters follow, but frustratingly, the monsters can take a completely different path and you don't get that path shown to you. You pretty much have to play the level at least once to learn where the monsters are going to attack from so that way you can get those super important perfect ratings. So you have to put time into this. You have to learn it. It's not just something you can sit down and play. It it asks a lot of you. Yeah, I know it's part of a, a long-running series. I think it's by uh, Dylan Cuthbert, who was uh, one of the big brains behind Star Fox, I think, originally. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and this is sort of his new company, and they, they make all kinds of uh, pixel junk games that are shooters and tower defense and, and other genres. Um, so I've, I've always had that sort of interest in it, but as soon as I hear tower defense, I sort of tap out because <laughs> it's just not my sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, I'm the same, but that stop motion animation thing is interesting. Um I talked about this briefly last week, but I didn't really get time to try the demo before today's recording, so I might have a crack at that and see how much I like it this coming week. Yeah, the stop motion animation sounds sounds brilliant. It's just yeah, just a mechanical thing. I, mm-hmm. I'm not that keen on the plate spinning of tower defense games. Fair. <laughs> Okay, and the last thing I've been playing has been Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection. Now, neither of you two are really into fighters, are you? Unless it's uh, Pokemon-themed or or well, another thing you're interested in. Yeah, I mean, it was Dead or Alive-themed. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm into it, but otherwise, yeah, not particularly. My relationship with fighters is more complicated than that. I need systems to engage with, like, on the meta level, like Pokemon. Pockin has all those unlocks you can get in it. Smash Brothers has all kinds of extra modes in it. I like Injustice. I like uh, I like Mortal Kombat. The recent titles they put out of those, but like Street Fighter, where it's just 
fighting that does not <laughs> hold my interest at all. You like a progression system? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Street Fighter has been like a huge part of my life. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in a, a sketchy area in England called Bradford in West Yorkshire. Um, it's got a reputation. Uh, even Australians I've spoken to here have heard of it. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was easy to get into trouble with local kids and stuff. And, uh, yeah, like one night I was bored and I convinced my mum to give me five pounds so I could go rent a game from the, the video store for my NES. Uh, and when I got there, I was I was looking at probably movie tie-ins, uh, and there was just all this noise coming from this back room. So I was curious, so I went and poked my head in, and there was a bunch of the local kids stood around the Street Fighter Two cabinet. I'd never seen it before, I hadn't seen it in magazines, I don't know how I missed it. Uh, and basically they just welcomed me in, and I, I watched. I, I didn't play that night, but... Like people were giving me tips, telling me how to do the special moves, and it just seemed like a really cool, like community aspect. Mm. So I went home with my five pounds intact, and uh, instead of uh, being quiet for my mother playing something, I just talked to her all night about how I was going to go back the next time to play Street Fighter. Um, and yeah, and it's it's been such a big part of my life since then. It's uh, it was the game that taught me who was an easily frustrated little kid to just, you know, take defeat on the chin and dust yourself down and just learn and do better. Um, and, yeah, so this collection has 12 Street Fighter games. Uh, it's got the original Street Fighter. It's got all the versions of Street Fighter 2. So it's got the original, it's got Champion Champions Edition, it's got Hyper Fighting, which is my personal favourite. It's got Street Fighter Alphas 1, 2, and 3, and it's got Street Fighter 3, Next Generation, Second Impact, and Third Strike. Uh, and it is such a wonderful celebration of the Street Fighter series. So the uh, we've already had Ultra Street Fighter 2 on the Switch. And, you know, it was okay for what it was. But it it wasn't the the pinnacle of the series like they, they wanted it to be. This is... A celebration and a, a history lesson as well, um, which is really cool. Uh, in terms of playing online, uh, there's only four available to play online, which is Hyper Fighting, again my favourite, Super Street Fighter 2, Alpha 3 and Third Strike. It makes sense to sort of limit people to the the latest and best versions of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to talk about the original Street Fighter, because... Uh, Boy, is that unplayable. Oh, dear. <laughs> it, it's really cool to have it in the collection as part of that history lesson, but um, it is badly animated, and it doesn't hold up in the same way that Street Fighter 2 definitely does. Like, mechanically, Street Fighter 2 will always be playable. The original Street Fighter, sadly not. The special moves are ridiculously hard to perform. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the enemies take off heaps of damage off you but it's uh to just you know jump in and play around with but also helping people to beat that uh this collection also has save states which is a really smart idea meaning Mm -hmm. so that if you get stuck on a character you just cannot beat you can just save state it before going in and yeah just keep plugging away and see how you go uh I have to spend a little bit of time talking about Third Strike, which is the the best version of Street Fighter 3 
it is one of the most beautifully animated pixel games ever made. It is utterly stunning. Just the way the character clothes moves, the the number of frames in their animation. It is absolutely fantastic and I like that would be worth the asking price alone. Uh actually no. <laughs> Maybe not. I wouldn't want to pay any bucks just for that. But it is it is a it it is as a collection it is absolutely fantastic mm. uh, and I'm just, just it plays so well that I'm just happy to keep doing those fights without any sort of progression system um, that's not to say that all there are other fights there's extras, there's a museum full of concept art that I probably already own in the Street Fighter art books there's pitch documents, there's a music player, there's an interactive timeline with screenshots from cancelled versions so there was a, a NES version of the original Street Fighter that was in progress and got cancelled and the one publicly released screenshot of that exists in this collection uh, which is kind of amazing now I do have to talk about the controllers so the Joy-Cons and the Pro Pad are workable like especially if you use the analog sticks over the D-pad but the way to play this is with a SNES pad and I highly recommend grabbing one of the 8-bit dough pads for this because um, the SNES had the best D-pad ever made, of course. Uh, and yeah, and that that sort of makes it imminently more playable. If if you're more of a stick player, you can actually get an 8-bit dough fight stick that is also compatible with Switch. Um, and, you know, you can always use these things to play with the other retro games. So Mega Man Legacy Collection would be a good thing to play with those. Uh, it's just, I, I highly recommend picking one of those up if you want to play it seriously. Yeah. Uh, Overall, I am super happy with it. It is an am- amazing package with 12 great games. Yes, some of them are a bit similar. There's a bit of cross-pollination. But uh, as a history lesson as to one of the most important game series of all time, definitely worth a look. That's a pretty glowing review um, for anyone out there that's a finding game fan. Um, I know one of our listeners had some concerns about, I guess, the um, the D-pad stuff and how it controls, but would you say it's playable without the accessories, or would it be quite yeah, a hard sell? for sure. The, no, for sure. If, if you're, you've got people of different ages, so some people adapted like through the 360 era and were able to play Street Fighter with the analog stick. Mm-hmm. I was one of them. I'm happy to play both D-pad off or analog stick mm-hmm. um, if you're one of those that can use the, the analog stick in fighting games you'll be fine because the the Joy-Con analogs are fine for it and the, the Pro Pad analogs are fine for it cool. if you're a D-pad player you're possibly going to struggle in handheld mode mm. uh, I haven't really given it a go it might actually with the way that it's four separate buttons rather than a proper D-pad it might actually help them get those direction presses down oh yeah so there is that argument as well Um. Like, I love the Pro Pad. It's one of the best controllers ever made. I keep saying this over and over again, but I don't think it's got the best uh, D-pad for this sort of thing. Um, but again, it's still worth a look. Same. Excellent. Oh, you know what? I, I haven't actually tried it with the uh, Pokemon... Sorry, the Pokemon Pro Controller. Mm. That might also be an option for people. Cool. Isn't the Pro Good Controller missing some buttons, though, that you might need? Uh, you only need six for Street Fighter. Oh. The rest is all made up, made up uh, with combo, you know, combination presses and things. So that sounds like playing a Super NES game on a Sega Genesis controller, and that was never a good time. 
Yeah, I must admit I didn't use the Pokken Pro Controller that much with Pokken. I tended to play it mostly handheld anyway. So I bought one of those controllers just to play Pokken with. I played it for one night with that, and then I switched to the Pro Controller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I found the analog stick better with Pokken as well. Just it moving around in a yeah, 3D space like makes it, more yeah. sense. Yeah, definitely. So, but for for 2D games, some people prefer the the D pads, yeah. and I'm one of them. Yeah. Yeah, the eight bit dough is probably the way to go, and it you know it Street Fighter Two was a massive deal for the SNES back in the day. It was certainly the reason why I wanted a SNES over other consoles, uh, and like just playing with a SNES pad just brings back all kinds of happy memories. It's yeah, it's so good. Okay, just before we move on to our Smash predictions, I want to talk about some predictions of a different kind. E3 is fast approaching. It's next week. Uh, and with I thought we'd, we wouldn't spend too much time on it, but we just have a, a couple of uh, quick predictions. Uh, I want from all of us one surefire thing and one completely out there prediction. Uh, I'll start. I think the surefire thing is... As we've seen, Fortnite has been leaked for Switch. It's been rated in Korea for Switch. Mm. And given that it's getting ratings, I think it's almost certainly going to be Nintendo's and it's available right now announcements. Let me ask you, though, will it be based on the other console versions or will it be based on the mobile version of Fortnite? Now, yeah, this is is the thing. I don't know. Uh, I would like to think it's going to be based on the other versions. Um, I believe that the mobile version is closer to the console version than PUBG's equivalents are. Uh-huh. Uh, give, given the the mobile version has cross-play with the other versions. Uh, but who's to know? I'll I'll give it a go. Okay, and my uh, out there prediction is it's, well, it's a bit boring and it's entirely possible, so maybe it's not out there, but I think we could see a Bioshock co- collection announced. I don't think that happens this E3, but I, I guess that's the part of it that makes it my out there prediction. Uh, what about you, Ginny? What are you thinking? Um, so I'm thinking that uh, I'm pretty, pretty confident that Diablo 3 is going to come on the Switch. Um, just because it kind of seems like a good time for Blizzard to make a foray into the console, like other major publishers of its kind. And I mean, like, with us getting that, um, with that League of Legends Switch game, being announced at last E3 and um, just, I guess, a bunch of other large companies like um, Epic Games and Fortnite and stuff having their material on the Switch. It makes commercial sense, and I think the Switch can handle a scaled-down version of Diablo 3 for sure. And if, I mean, Fortnite and PUBG can innovate multi-platform multiplayer, um, it can't be that difficult for Blizzard. So Yeah, I think... It got leaked. Well, not leaked. It got. Uh, it was rumored yeah. a while ago, and that it was going to come early in 2019. So I, I actually made the same prediction on Twitter the other day. Uh, I changed my mind though. <laughs> I don't think it's going to come up at E3. I think it's going to come up at the pre-end of year direct. All right. And, and it's and it's and it's going to be out in the within the first three months of next year. Fair That's enough. Fair so, enough. So yeah, I I had that same prediction. Uh, just changed my mind. So. <laughs> But um, yeah, I definitely want it. I played it on PS4, and I would happily play that again on on Switch. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, I bet that I bet they would bundle the DLC with it as well. Um, just seeing as how aged most of it is, so it would be. I think it would be at a, at a reasonable price point, content wise. Um, and I guess a slightly more out there prediction is probably the Dishonored games. Um, I think that the Switch can run it at this point, and I feel like we just need like a good 
um, grimdark action game, I guess, um, make its way onto the Switch. I don't know if they'll have Borderlands anytime soon. I know Andrew wants it really badly, and I would love it too. But I think something along the lines of Dishonored would be more realistic in terms of what what would get ported to the Switch, um, at least currently. So I think Dishonored is my slightly out there pick, but still, I guess, plausible. So maybe just like Andy, it could happen. I think that's very likely, because I think Bethesda are very happy with the performance of their their games on the Switch, uh, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of sales. People are happy to pick them up, maybe not for the first playthrough of these games, but certainly for a second playthrough. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, I can, you know, Dishonored 1 was a 360 game that could totally run on Switch. Easy. Uh, Second one could easily be downported for it. Yeah, I think that's a good shout, and I think we will see it if if, uh, Bethesda's uh, success is still forthcoming mm. going into year two or three yeah I'm, I'm with you on that one yeah my surefire borderlands 2 port that would be nice <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna keep asking for this until it happens so you may as well just do it 2k i know you're listening uh, <laughs> i don't bother randy pitchford about this but i will if you drive me to it and my long shot uh hyrule warriors 2 Ooh, okay. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm just on Hyrule Warriors. I'm I'm having this thing where every time I play it I I really enjoy myself. But I'm having trouble getting myself to play it. <laughs> so I'm I'm still working my way through the uh, legends mode and it's just I don't know, it, I th- I don't know if it's just because you have to dedicate so much time to to a level i just there's something just stopping me from getting there mm. uh, m- maybe it's the pressure of being forced to play adventure mode who knows i'm having the opposite problem i'm having a hard time playing anything but hyrule warriors right now <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so yeah I, I, it's possibly a good show especially if they could add in some breath of the wild content uh, you know more than the the costume versions of Zelda and and Link. I think that's that's a good shout as well. So I, I think none of our out there predictions are as out there as we thought. But let's see how that goes. Come next week. Ready, go. And continuing the predictions, it's now on to our Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo Switch predictions. Uh, I'm going to predict that Ryu from Street Fighter returns. Um, like most of my predictions, it's just come off the back of something else I've played on Switch that week. Uh, but Capcom's relationship with Nintendo still seems to be going along strong. Uh, I see no reason why Ryu wouldn't return. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And... I guess on my side, um, my prediction, or one of my personal favorite um, franchise mascots, um, I would love Sonic to be in Super Smash Brothers. I think he's got the skill set for it. And if we're gonna, if I predicted Noctis not too long ago, I think Sonic has just chances that are just as good in terms of being in this game. So I'm gonna call Sonic. He's been well. He, <laughs> it's been a presence in classic mode since the beginning. I think it's finally going to be playable in some capacity, probably in versus mode. I think Master Hand will be playable. 
Interesting. Mm. So for the for those that don't know, Master Hand is kind of like the big bad of Smash Brothers. Oh, well, there's Taboo, or whatever that character's name was, who was added in Brawl, who exists beyond Master Hand. But yeah, I think Master Hand would be the more recognizable big bad boss of the Smash Brothers series. Yeah, I think so too. I still remember being traumatized with him chasing me around on stage all those years ago. So that would be adequately terrifying. Yeah, so I don't have that history with him because my first Smash Brothers experience was on the Wii U and 3DS. Ah, yep. Um, wow. And the reason for that was because I didn't ever see Smash Brothers as a legitimate fighting game mm. and how wrong I was. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I I completely flipped on that when I actually played Smash Brothers. Um, but again... The, the the thing I enjoy about it is different to what you enjoyed about it. You enjoy the the progressions. I enjoyed the one on one fighting online. So <laughs> yeah, um, I did actually boot up uh, Smash Brothers Melee on GameCube last night for research for a freelance thing. I'm so sorry. And yeah, it was okay. I I tried the adventure mode as well, which is very very weird. Uh, having Link run through the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, very strange. Uh, I didn't quite work out the structure of it, but yeah, it was all right. I like it. Uh, I'm gonna try track down the N64 version as well at some point. But yeah, cool. So that's the predictions for this week. So what are we playing in this coming week? Uh, well, we've got Banner Saga Two coming out on the. S- 7th or the 9th? It's coming out this coming week. So I'm going to make another attempt to play the first Banner Saga, try to get back into it so I can stay current with this series as it slowly gets released on the Switch over the coming months. If it still doesn't click with me, then I'm going to play Smoke and Sacrifice, which has just come out the other day on Switch. And that's a survival game with very similar structure to Don't Starve, it looks like, but it actually has... Uh, pre-built campaign in it to work through. Cool. I'm gonna be picking up Banner Saga 2 for sure, because I love the first one. Um, I'm desperately gonna try and get Hyrule Warriors done, at least the Legends mode, prior to that, so I can just focus on it without the guilt of not finishing it. Um, And I'm gonna sneak in some Death Road to Canada in between as well. Cool. Um... I'm going to be um, probably also playing Hyrule Warriors because I've kind of let that one go in the past week while I was trying other things. And surprisingly, I've done a complete 180 on um, Sushi Striker. Mm. Um, I remember when we first talked about it on the show, it was not all my jam from what I'd seen and I was just no interest whatsoever. But I tried the demo and boy, is it super catchy. Um, so I think I might actually pick up Sushi, um, Sushi Striker when it releases. It releases this week as well. Um, and that'll probably be the other thing that I play during the week. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because Sushi Striker is one of the games I was actually interested. I was the only one of us three who was interested in it when it was announced. Mm -hmm. And I played the demo and I was like, yeah, I'd probably hate this game. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Uh, And I'm standing fast on that i'm i'm not gonna bother i haven't even downloaded the demo yet so 
Yeah. But I, I know there are a lot of people who weren't looking forward to it that, that are now based on the demo. So mm. that's how it does. It's uh, technically a Nintendo first party game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. It's second party so, at least. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, maybe I should try it just out of, uh, you know, devotion to the podcast or whatever. But. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll really help us get noticed. You can also listen, subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with our lively community. Links in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news and other content. Uh, If you'd like to support the show, you can now buy us a coffee. The details are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, and if you want to follow the three of us individually on Twitter, you can do so. I'm at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. Uh, he's also streaming at twitch.tv forward slash Play Critically. And Ginny is at Ginny Woes.